Well, good morning and welcome. I would like to say good morning to our online campus as well at Fredericksburg and for all of you joining us here at Stafford. If we have not met yet, my name is Adam and I'm the lead pastor here at the Mount and I'm excited to be with you again as we continue. Um, I'm excited to be with you again as we continue in our series on Jonah. But before we get there, we do need to take a moment and just pause and talk about our church for a second. Because maybe some of you are just like me, you're new and you're kind of figuring the mount out over the last couple months. And I wanna let you know this, that at the mount, we're moving into a season here that we move into annually where we take a pause and we take some time to nominate the next people to be on our elder board. And so we, for those of you that don't know, we are a staff-led, elder-governed church. What that means is that our church is guarded by a group of elders. It's four men plus myself, and we are tasked and called by God to make sure that the church is guarded in the areas of teaching and doctrine and shepherding and other areas like that. And so each year, a certain number of those four men roll off, and in January, we add a new man or two new men to take the place of those who rolled off. And so now we are opening up the time for our elder nominations. And this is where you as a church have a huge part in this, because we're asking two things from you. First, we're asking for your prayers. We're asking for your prayers for our current group of elders. We're asking for the, the prayers for the people who might be joining that team as a new elder, that God would stir in their hearts, their gifting and their passions to help lead our church in this new way for this new season. Secondly, we're asking for names and nominations from you. You are the people who are doing life and rubbing shoulders with men in this church who you believe have the gifting, the qualifications, and the experience to be an elder. In fact, you'll be able to see that if you go to our website, themount.org elder, you can see the scripture references we have for where you can find those qualifications and characteristics that we're looking for in our elders. And there's a form that prayerfully you can fill out and nominate uh, a man or two or three that you believe fits the qualifications and could be an elder here at the Mount. We would love for you to participate in our church in this way. And so before we dive in today, I would love to just pray for us. I'd love to pray for our elders and for this process as we move into the season. So let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who so clearly in scripture speaks about the gifting and the qualifications of elders. God, I pray first and foremost for our existing elders of the past year and the past years of all the things that we have walked through and have led our church so well alongside our staff. God, we are thankful for these men who love you and follow you and use their gifts to serve the church. God, we pray for this next season as we seek a person that you want, that you've already ordained, you've already picked, and you've already called to be the new person on our elder team. We pray that as we interview them and talk with them, God, that you would make it abundantly clear that their gifting matters to our church. God, we are thankful and we ask that as we open up your word this morning, that you would speak to us clearly. Amen. Well, my youngest, Micah, he's eight years old, about to be nine, and he loves basketball. In fact, he loves basketball so much that we have one of those kind of like Nerf indoor basketball goals in our entryway. And it's, it's kind of a daily occurrence where Micah will be in there and he'll grab the little basketball and he'll be like, hey, dad, 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 check it, dad, watch this. And he'll be like, five, four, three, two, Steph Curry for three, one, ah, and it'll miss, right? And then he'll go grab the ball and what he'll do is he'll run over here, he'll grab the ball and he'll be like, dad, 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 I'm gonna do it again, right? Do over, I want another shot, just watch this, watch again. And he'll four, three, two, one, Steph, Curry for three, ah, miss again, right? And he'll just keep doing this over and over and over and over again until finally, until finally he counts down three, two, one, Steph Curry for three, and he'll shoot and it'll go in. 
And he'll celebrate and he'll cheer. And he'll, I mean, he, he, he's like, oh, first try, I did it, I made it, right? And he's celebrating like he just beat LeBron James and Michael Jordan in a two-on-one tournament or something. I mean, he's going crazy in the house because, why? Micah loves do-overs. He loves to have another shot. He loves to try again and see if he can figure it out when he messed up the first time. It makes him celebrate. And I think there's just something about us as human beings, we talked about this last week, right, where we love do-overs. We love second chances. We love another shot. For some of us with golfers, I'm a golfer myself, we love another shot so much that when we play in a scramble, we pay money to have mulligans. Because there's something exciting about being, I think I can make this one again. Here's $5. I think I can do this one. Let's $5. We buy extra shots just to have the chance to shoot another one, to try again, to have that do-over, to see if we can do it. Students, some of you have experienced this maybe when you go to a new school, it can be a do-over, right? You get a chance where your teachers don't know you as the person who kept going in detention. Your teachers don't know you as the person who kept failing the math test. You get a new circle of friends, a new group to hang out with. You go to college and you're able to reinvent yourself. You're allowed a do-over, a second chance to become the person that you want to be. For some of us, we've experienced moving and moving can be a do-over, right? You get a chance to go and kind of redefine yourself, find a new circle of friends. Even more importantly, you get a chance to kind of reset the rhythms and patterns that come from your family. You move to a new place and you might not know everyone right away and so all of a sudden you're more isolated, more insulated with your family and you kind of question and say, why do we always do that? Why do we do that? What if we take this time now and begin to start fresh and do things we stopped doing or things we've never done? It's a fresh start, a do-over. A career change can be a do-over. You have a chance where your boss and your coworkers don't know you as the person who dropped the ball on that big project. You have a chance to be friendlier than you were to your coworkers previously. A fresh start. For some of us grandparents, the do-over is we get to, you know, parent our grandparent or parent our grandkids differently because we messed up our own kids so much, right? We get a do-over, a second chance, another shot. We love do-overs. We said this last week. We love second chances. We love to watch movies about them. We love to read stories about them, hear books about them. We love like the emotional stories of people saying they went from death to life. They had another shot, a do-over, a second chance. They were able to kind of power through and make it and they figured it out and everything worked out great. We love them, why? Because we live in a culture where second chances are rare. We live in a culture where more often than not, we are defined by our past mistakes, not our present or the future that is in front of us. We love second chances. If you're joining us for the first time today, we are in week three of a series titled Jonah. And what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is following this dude, this guy by the name of Jonah, as we see and hear his story. And Jonah at his heart, he was a prophet, a messenger of God to the Old Testament people, the people of God in the Old Testament. And what Jonah did was Jonah heard very clearly at one point in his life that God asked him, God commanded him, God told him to go to the city called Nineveh and to preach against it. And Jonah didn't. Jonah ran. Because Jonah wanted nothing to do with the Ninevites. You see, the Ninevites, the, the people of Assyria, they were brutal people. They were known all throughout the ancient Near East for their, their cruelty, for, their, for the way they treated people, for the way they hurt them, for the way they, they picked on them. They were known for their arrogance. They thought they were the best nation, the best city, the best country, whatever you want to use there. They thought they knew everything and everything they did was right. And so everyone despised them. Jonah wanted nothing to do with them. 
Jonah didn't think they deserved to be preached to. He didn't think that they deserved to hear from the voice of God. They didn't deserve that what God might do in their lives because they were people who were mean and cruel. They didn't deserve a second chance. And so Jonah ran. While he was told to go to Nineveh, you can see on the map, Jonah caught a boat going opposite direction all the way to modern day Spain. He was supposed to go to modern day Iraq and he went to modern day Spain. And in route though, God sent a storm and God's providence to stop Jonah from continuing to run in this cycle of disobedience. And Jonah, there's this big storm and we read in chapter one, there's this huge storm and all of a sudden the sailors on the boat are like, what's going on? We're all going to die. This storm is so big. And Jonah's just like real casual, like, um, that's me guys, I'm kind of running from God. I, don't know, I should have told you that before I bought my ticket, but hey, do what you gotta do. And so in order to kind of help the situation and appease the storm, we're told that they throw Jonah overboard and Jonah gets thrown into the sea with waves crashing about him and seaweed twisting all up in him and immediately in hitting the water, God sends in his providence a fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And it's in this fish that Jonah realizes. He, he hits rock bottom, right? He goes down so deep, there's no further he can go. And Jonah realizes, I need the Lord. And we're told at the end of chapter two that Jonah cries out to God. And immediately, this, the fish vomits him back up onto dry land. And we ended in Jonah chapter three, verse one last week with this. It says, scripture says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah gets a second chance. And we've said each week so far that there's a little bit of Jonah in us all, right? We're all at our heart runners. We're all people who long to disobey God. We're all people who deserve or don't deserve that second chance, but God gives it to us. There's a little bit of Jonah in us all. And so for Jonah, and I think maybe the question for all of us this morning is this, what do we do with the second chance that we have been given? Will Jonah continue to act in disobedience? Will Jonah continue to struggle and wrestle with the Lord? Or will Jonah surrender and follow what the Lord has obviously asked him to go and do? And so let's pick up right where we left off. Chapter three, verse one and two. It says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse two. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, I love this. We're not gonna look. You can go back and look on your own. But what God says to Jonah in verse three, two is the exact same word for word that he says to Jonah in chapter one. He says to go to the great city of Nineveh. He tells him to go. He tells them what he is to do, to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach. Now, the idea that this happens is so profound to think about. Think about this guy, right? We've been tracking Jonah's story, those of you that have been here. And if you're new, you just got the recap. We've been tracking Jonah's story. Jonah was a guy who wanted nothing to do with what God wanted. Jonah ran and ran and ran. He disobeyed. He went his own way. He went his own path. He chose his own will. He did what he wanted to do. He tried everything in his power to hide from God. In fact, he wanted to be the opposite of God so much that there's a moment in scripture where we see that Jonah cries out that he would rather die than follow God's will in this moment. But yet this guy, this rebellious prophet who's running, even after all of this, God comes to Jonah a second time with the very same thing he came to him with the first time. And I want to pause because man, this is important. Perhaps you are here this morning and God has been speaking to you about something he wants you to do. Maybe there's a, a dream or a desire that you have been putting on the back burner because you just don't have the margin in your schedule to do it. But you know clearly that the Lord is asking you, he's telling you, you need to start that thing. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to stop. 
Maybe it's a, a sin struggle. Maybe it's just something that is, is squeezing out every available time you have to invest in relationships or your kids or your marriage or other things. And God has been clearly telling you to stop doing that thing. Or maybe he's asking you to restart something. Maybe there's a, a relationship in your past that went sour and you have been avoiding it. Maybe it's a parent you haven't talked to in a long time, a child who is off at college or grown and you just don't communicate as well anymore. Maybe your marriage is struggling and it's difficult and God has been telling you and asking you to, to cut something out so that you can focus on that. Maybe he's calling you to lead a small group, to mentor a younger couple, to invite someone to church, to share your faith. Maybe you're here this morning and God has been speaking to you about something and you feel inadequate and you just don't know if God would ever use you and you're not sure you're ready because you've made so many mistakes and your past is so tainted and there's no way you're just not ready, right? Maybe this morning you need to write this down and lock it into memory. Your disobedience does not disqualify you. Your disobedience does not disqualify you. Your, your past disobedience to God, your mistakes, your failures, your mess-ups, all the things that you have done previously, when you turn them over to the Lord, when you give them to God, it doesn't disqualify you from serving him in the present and in the future because God has something for you. He can work through even your past. Jonah ran blatantly from God in the complete opposite direction, and what did God do? He came to him again with the exact same command, the exact same word, the exact same mission. Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and preach. Why? Because what we see over and over, this recurring theme in scripture, over and over again, is that found people find people. Found people find people. We see this over and over and over again. Where people, God's people, when they have experienced grace and forgiveness and mercy in their lives, when they have seen his holiness and his goodness and it has transformed them and changed them, we see over and over again in scripture that those are the very same people that God has called, he has chosen, he has sent into the world to express that very same grace and forgiveness to the people around them who are far from him. We see it in John, the gospel of John, chapter one, this won't be on the screen, just listen to this. Verse 43 and 46, it says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Jesus found Philip. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. Don't miss this. What we see is, he says, hey, I can't explain it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just can't describe it, but you, you, you need to come see this guy who changed my life. There's just something about him that was so different. There's something about what he did, the way he spoke to me. There was something about him that was so different. Just, just, just come and see, right? Because what we see in scripture is we see Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathaniel, and Nathaniel came to know Jesus because of him, because he said, just come and see. Why? Because found people find people. People who have been rescued know that their mission, their life, their purpose is to go and rescue others. Found people, find people. We see this in the Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospels. Jesus comes to her and has a conversation and exposes all of her sin. And immediately she recognizes him as the Messiah and she runs into town. And what does she do when she gets to town? As a person who's been newly found, newly rescued, newly redeemed, she begins exclaiming to everyone she says, come and see this guy, come and see this guy, come and see him. I can't explain it, I don't know what to do, but come and see him because he is the Messiah because found people find people. There's a little bit of Jonah 
in us all. Jonah's been rescued. He's been given this second chance. He's been given this do-over. He's been found. And now he's going to Nineveh to find other people. Jonah told, Jonah's told to go. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, right? When he looks at his disciples and he's looking at us in the same way, those of us that profess to follow him, and he says, you are to go into all the world and make disciples. We have a command, we have a mission, we have a purpose. Jesus is telling us for those of us that profess to follow him, we have been given a do-over in life. We have been given a second chance. We have been given another shot, another opportunity, and because of what we have experienced in him, we are called, we are commanded, we are told to go and find people and to say, come and see see the Savior who is the Messiah who has changed my life. Found people, find people. So Jonah comes out of this fish and God tells him to go because Jonah, think about this. I mean, you can't, like, what a great message Jonah probably had, right? Most scholars, when they talk about Jonah being in the belly of a fish after three days of being vomited up, you can imagine three days, and this is gonna be a little gross, the kids are gonna love it, right? Three days in a belly means you're just kind of sitting there in all this stomach and gastric juices, and most scholars would say after three days when Jonah comes out, when he lands on that beach, when he lands at the edge of that water, he would have been bleached blonde from head to toe. Every hair, everything on him, his skin would have been a little bit translucent. He would have smelled like worse than you could ever imagine in three days and stomach acid. And so God tells him to go into Nineveh. And you can imagine the moment he walks into this city, everyone's going, what's, what's with the pale, all white guy? Is that Gandalf? What's happening? I don't understand. <laughs> like they're, they're wondering, they're confused, they're asking questions. But here's what's amazing. Jonah has a story to tell. He is a visible picture in that moment to the Ninevites of what happens when you run from God and experience his mercy, forgiveness, and goodness. In fact, Jesus references himself in the Gospel of Luke when he says that Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. There's a little bit of Jonah in us all. We all have a story to tell. For those of us that have made the decision to spend our lives following and loving and pursuing Jesus, we have a story to tell. Maybe your story is a story of God's faithfulness. Maybe you've grown up in church your entire life and you have been saved and kind of avoided major sin and major catastrophe in your life. And the story that you have, the story that you can tell is that God has sustained you, he has protected you, he has guarded you, he has provided for you over and over and over again in the midst of a culture that seems to be against you. God has sustained you and his faithfulness has been there for you. Maybe your story is one where your family was praying for something incredibly specific. Maybe it was a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a cousin, or anyone who was going through some sort of medical condition and the doctors told you there is no hope, there's nothing we can do, but you prayed expecting the Lord to move and he did and your story is of God's faithfulness in answering that prayer for you. Maybe your story is you grew up in a home that was so far from the Lord and it was rough and it was difficult that God rescued you and redeemed you even in the midst of that and has provided for you and your family's doing it differently and you are breaking that generational cycle and doing it differently and pursuing him. And maybe your story is a little bit more dramatic. Maybe more of a, a Saul to Paul kind of moment, right? Maybe your story is a little more like mine where your life was heading in a certain direction and it was all about death and destruction and all of a sudden you encountered God and there was a complete 180 and everything about you changed in an instant. Maybe you were stuck in a cycle of addiction 
And the moment you found Jesus, you've been sober ever since. Here's what I know. We all have a story to tell. Each and every one of us who has been found each and every one of us who has been rescued, each and every one of us who has been redeemed, each and every one of us who has experienced the grace and forgiveness of God means that we have a story to tell. And again, your past disobedience does not disqualify you for doing something for him today. Some of you in this room, you are so determined to believe that your story doesn't matter. Your story doesn't make a difference. Your story isn't good enough. Your story isn't right. It's not dramatic enough. It's not this or that or this or this. Hear me very clearly this morning. You have a story to tell. You have been perfectly positioned in this period of time in all of history by God and appointed the story that you have so that you can share it with the people around you so that they may see him more clearly than they ever have in their life because you are like a walking Jonah, bleached in white, showing the world the display of God's goodness and his faithfulness when you surrender to him. You have a story to tell. Question, church, are you sharing your story? What I love about this, and we're gonna see, Jonah doesn't get out of the way and be like, man, I, I smell, I'm covered in stomach acid and I'm blonde now, and I'm gonna put on a cloak and cover myself so that I fit in. No, Jonah just walks into the city knowing he's going to stand out, but he also knows There's no point hiding what God has done in his life. And my fear is that some of us, in an effort to fit in, are hiding the story of what God has done in our lives when God is saying, no, found people, find people. Go and share your story. Your past does not disqualify you. People need to hear what you've been through. And so God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse three. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. Some translations say great city. It took three days to go through it. Nineveh was this great city, this large city. It was great in influence. Nineveh was kind of the, the cultural epicenter of the ancient Near East. It was a money powerhouse. It was a cultural powerhouse. It was a religious powerhouse. It was a military powerhouse. The city of Nineveh was what every other city envied. They wanted to be like them. They didn't want to act like them. They just wanted all the things they had. The city was so large, it was a three day journey. Most scholars believe that the wall that surrounded the city was a seven and a half mile long wall. It's this big, massive, Massive city full of people who are known for their brutality and their wickedness. And God tells Jonah to go to these people and proclaim the message that he will give him. Don't miss this. Jonah is asked to go to Nineveh before he knows what he's preaching. For all he knows, like if you're Jonah and you're picking what you're going to preach, you're going to show up to Nineveh and say, hey, Ninevites, I have a three-point sermon. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. That's why I'm white. Let's go home, right? Like, that's what you hope to preach. But he has no idea what he's going. He doesn't know if he's going to go there and say God loves you or, hey, guess what? God hates you and there's no redemption. All the Ninevites are going to die. He has no idea. But what does scripture say that Jonah obeyed? In other words, Jonah said yes before he knew what he was saying yes to. And some of us, and I get it, we're Enneagram sixes, some of you are, and you, you like to plan, you like to think, you like to make sure all the ducks are in a row, all the things are exactly how they wanna be. And so what you do is say, God, I hear what you're asking me to do. I know what you're saying I need to do, but what about X? 
What about Y? What about Z? What about this? Let me just make sure this is okay with the kids and this is okay and this. No, no, no. God is asking you when he calls found people to go and find other people, when he calls you to share your story, when he speaks to you, he is saying, is your yes on the table? Because then I'll tell you what I have for you. It's called surrender. Jonah obeyed and surrendered. And some of you, you have been fighting the Lord so much right now. And he is asking you to surrender and obey. So Jonah goes, and man, I wouldn't want the job Jonah had, right? Like, he's the new preacher in town, and listen to what he has to say. And in verse four, Jonah began by going on a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Imagine my like first week here, if I was like, hey, uh, Stafford, Fredericksburg, 40 more days and you'll be overthrown. You go, you, we wouldn't see you this week, would we? No. Jonah goes and just boldly proclaims this. I mean, imagine this, right? Like he's walking into this foreign city, this brutal, hostile city, and scripture tells us, he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in English, five in Hebrew, because they skip words in Hebrew. Straight to the point. Now, let's pause here for a second because that that Hebrew word overthrown is an interesting word. It's a word that actually, and we're going to talk about this in a second, Hebrew is the Old Testament language. And so the word Hebrew, or the word overthrown, actually has a double meaning. And we're going to get to that, but just to give you an example, there's English words have double meanings as well. For instance, it'll be on the screen, the word bark. This is a word that has multiple meanings. When you see this word on the screen behind me, you might think, oh, he's talking about a dog. I have a neighbor who barks a lot. The dog does, right? And so I hate that dog. Like, maybe that's just your, what you're thinking right now. Or maybe you're thinking, no, 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 he's talking about tree bark, the stuff that protects the outside of a tree. It has multiple meanings. Or maybe you're already a baker and you're getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're like, no, he's talking about almond bark. I'm gonna make some candy, some chocolate, right? And you're thinking of that's the term. But this word bark can mean multiple different things depending on the context context of how we use it and where we use it. The word overthrown in Hebrew is the word hafak. I want you guys to say this when you say hafak. Hafak. The word hafak can mean two things depending on the context. It can mean to overthrow and destroy or to turn around and change. Don't miss this. It can mean to overthrow and destroy or turn around and change or transform. And what we see is Jonah walk into this city, this foreign city that he despises, putting his yes on the table, listening to what the Lord has asked him to do. And he walks in and says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be hafak. Nineveh, you will either be overthrown, you will either be destroyed, or you will turn and change. The choice is yours. Even in what sounds harsh, he gives them a choice. Destruction or repentance? Punishment or forgiveness? 40 days and you will either be destroyed or changed forever. What's it going to be? And some of you are here this morning listening or watching online or at Fredericksburg. And if you're honest, you've been doing life your way. Making your decisions, doing what's best for you, following your own plan, your own path, deciding that you are in charge, that you are the little God of your own little universe. And maybe this morning the Lord is looking at you saying, Hafak, you will either be destroyed internally by your own actions and your own choices, or you will turn and change. What's it going to be? And then verse five, 
which would have been one of the most difficult verses for anyone alive at this time to hear and believe. Listen to this, verse five, it says, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on a sackcloth. I mean, this, like we can't even understand, like this would have been unbelievable for them to hear. The, the Israelites, when, they're, when Jonah's kind of writing this story, they're hearing this story, they're like, wait a second, hold up, Jonah, you're wrong. There's no, not the Ninevites. There is no way the Ninevites turned, repented, and believed in God. That is, you're making this up, you're a prophet, and we, we get it, but you're wrong. That never happened. There's no possible way. Because these are the people, right, the Ninevites are the people who are so far from God that when everyone else saw them, like, not a chance. Those people will never come to God. They're too far gone. They've messed up too much. They're too rough. They're too dirty. They're too this, 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 and this. There's no way those people will ever come to God. I don't believe it. And so they declared a fast and they put on sackcloth, which is this goat skin fur that thing that's like, it's like wearing a sweater without a shirt underneath it and you're itching all the time. And so they do that as a symbol of what it feels like to be in repentance. And it continues verse six through verse 10. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. So the king gets up, he takes off his clothes and he puts on this sackcloth and sets in the dust. It's his way of saying like, I'm no longer worthy to be a king. There's a new king on the throne. I humble myself, I surrender. And he says, by decree, or verse seven, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. Listen to what the king says. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. I mean, he says, hey, hey, city of Nineveh, 120,000 of you, plus your animals, we're gonna fast because of what we've done. Not just the people are going to fast, the animals are going to fast. Now imagine a city with that many people and that many animals in such close proximity. Imagine after a couple days of not eating, imagine the animals and the cows mooing and the noises of all the animals and the people that are just hungry. Imagine, you can hear the repentance in the city. He says, do not let them eat or drink, verse eight, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone, let who? Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, I love this verse. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, what did he do? He relented and he did not bring destruction. He had threatened. The Ninevites, the people who were the furthest from God, the people who everyone said, there's no chance, not them, no way. No, they changed and turned to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're the person that if other people knew you were here, they'd be like, no way, man. There's no way he's in church. There is no way she showed up to hear somebody talk like that. They are so far gone. Maybe you're the person who feels like Nineveh. You feel like you're just despised. Can I just say this morning, and maybe you need to hear the message of Jonah chapter three wash over you this morning. If the people of Nineveh can repent and find love and forgiveness in God, so can you. No one is outside of God's reach and outside of his love. I'll say it again in case you missed it. If the people of Nineveh, the despised, hated, wicked, cruel people of Nineveh can repent and find God. So can you. I don't care what you've done. If Nineveh can do it, so can you.
that's the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that 2,000 years ago, God looked at the world, he looked at you and I and realized that all of us as human beings, we were trying our best to do what was right, but left to our own, we made mistake after mistake after mistake because we make really bad kings and really bad gods. And he said, I need to step in, I need to fix this problem. And the only way to do this is for them to be punished, but I can't punish them because I love them so much. So instead I will send my son, my one and only son, to die for them, to take their place, to take my punishment, to take my pain on them. That way he, Jesus, will be punished for all of eternity so that they, those people, can be free and live and turn and hafak to me. And maybe, just maybe this morning, that's what you need to do. You see, the message of Jonah 3 and the message of the entire book of Jonah, right? We, so many times we read Jonah and we focus on the fish. The fish is three verses out of four chapters, that's it. The story of Jonah is that there was a group of people who were so far from God, who didn't deserve his love, that God gave them a chance, a second chance, and they repented and turned to him, and he loved them. And this morning, maybe for you, you need to experience the same love the Ninevites did. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for stories like Jonah, for the way you show us what it means to be people who have a second chance and how to faithfully live out that second chance. God, this morning I pray for all of us listening that we would be people who recognize that our past does not disqualify us, that we would be people who recognize that we have been found so that we can go find other people, that we would be people who recognize that we have a story to tell, a story that you have ordained in our lives and orchestrated for us to share with people around us. This morning, God, we recognize that left to our own, we would be doomed. But you, our God, in your grace and in your goodness, redeemed us, allowed us to turn to you. As we continue praying in this moment right here, right now, maybe you're here this morning and that's you. You're like, Adam, you are, you are talking to me. You are pegging me. I, I'm doing it my way, my plan, and I need Jesus. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're at Fredericksburg. Maybe you're here at Stafford. But what I want you to do, if that's your prayer this morning, that you want to cry out to Jesus just like the Ninevites did and save to, for salvation for him to see you and to love you. If that's you, would you just real quick slip up your hand right where you are? Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. your hands up, I want you to pray this prayer silently with me. Father, I am a sinner and I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your grace. Jesus, come into my heart. Make me new. Be my king. And everyone said,